Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Special. Hey, hello. Derek. Hey, Sean. Let's talk kangaroos. <laughs> yes. So Oshawa, which is between you, your place and my place, yeah. apparently there was a kangaroo making a stop at the Oshawa Zoo for rest. Yep. And it jumped over, <laughs> escaped, and has been on the lamb for four days? Three days? Yeah, three or four days. Yeah. yeah who knew they could jump? <laughs> you know, apparently not the zookeepers. Anyways, he's out to stretch his legs. He, it was a long drive. I don't yeah. know where he came from. Only four years of Did age. Did they ever say where he came from? No, it just said it was on its way I to Montreal or something. Yeah, it was hand raised. It did say it was hand raised. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it was um, on its way to Montreal. Stopped in Oshawa for a little rest stop, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Like a hotel, and it, it went on the lamb for a few days. Yeah. They finally caught it, <laughs> and in the process, they say it punched a police officer. I think it kicked. Kicked, punched. <laughs> so I'm thinking arrest for uh, resisting Disorder, arrest, disorderly, disorderly conduct, <laughs> assaulting a police officer. This kangaroo is going to spend some time behind bars, yep. possibly life. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Ah. Time behind bars. <laughs> oh, geez. In Oshawa. Yeah. Kangaroo on the loose, only in Canada. Well, at least it wasn't too cold. It was it wasn't deadly cold. It no, was, no, it's been low. Last, yeah, the last few nights have been are hovering around zero, so it's not too bad. Yeah. But still, it's not the ideal climate for a kangaroo right now. It's not minus thirty five to make it a snow kangaroo. <laughs> exactly. That'd be that'd be a really cool uh, cool is that animal? A, <laughs> a snow kangaroo, yeah. all white. Oh, furry like a, a Sasquatch or a Yeti? sort of yeah, or like a like a, a fluffy white Arctic rabbit. Yeah, right. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. What would you mix? See, this, these are the kind of things of genetic. If I was genetic in charge mixing. of genetic genetic engineering, there you go. These are the things that I would be mix be making. Oh, mix a polar bear with a kangaroo. Oh. Wouldn't that be a deadly match? Yeah. Well, I mean, kangaroos can already, I mean, a full grown, and that's the thing is this kangaroo was only four years old. It, it was like a, an adolescent. Yeah. It wasn't a full grown yeah. kangaroo. Like you see those ones, kangaroos, they get in a fight oh, yeah. and they will destroy, they use their it feet. They can be eight, they grow as big as eight feet. They can be as big as 200 pounds. That's it? So, uh, well, I they'd just, be heavier than 200. Just what I was reading on the, yeah. on the Durham Police website. That's, uh, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we need a whole bunch of new animals in Canada. Yes, yes. Yes. We need some snow kangaroos. That'd be awesome. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, I'm not sure how I got on the subject, um, but I went down a Google thing. A Google hole? Not, not totally a rabbit hole, but uh, I started Googling a few things about insurance. Oh, Yes. I'm not, I can't remember why. We've talked about this in the past. I don't know why it came up, but it came up about three weeks ago. We had discussed it. Maybe that's why. And I just followed through with it. So if you have a kayak, canoe, whichever, if it gets stolen from your home, depending on your, your insurance, your home insurance would cover it. So if it gets stolen from your garage, your backyard, your house burns down, should be in your insurance insurance will cover it. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking like, what if it gets stolen from your car while you stay at a hotel overnight 
or if it gets exactly. de- if you get in a car accident it gets destroyed say you're doing a trip somewhere and you're like hey let's drive to Cochrane tonight and uh, we'll grab a hotel and head out in the morning and head to get onto the Missinabi River yada 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 and it's like oh get out of your hotel and uh, your boat's gone yeah yeah it happens uh, or like I say if you're driving and you get in an accident your car your car's destroyed your boat's destroyed is it covered what if you're paddling on a trip, a remote trip, and you wrap it around a rock, is it covered? I mean, most people are saying, no, it's not covered. And, you know, because, I mean, that's what happens. Um, now, I have a spot unit. When I take my spot unit and I press SOS, I've got insurance with it that covers yep. search and rescue, but it doesn't cover the cost of my gear. Exactly. So my gear stays there. Yeah. But they come and take me. They exactly. take me away. Yeah. And so you're not going to go back and get your stuff. You're just no. going to call it a loss. So I, I went Googling a couple of things because it's not something people think about. Right? I can think of a couple of examples. Like there was the the Noir River where Martin, his boat got yeah. smashed up and a lot of their gear got lost. He did to get his camera back. There was the Northern Scavenger when they did Labrador. They wrapped one of their uh, Canyon uh, whitewater boats around a rock. They mm-hmm. managed to bend it back into shape and they kept going. But that just shows the resilience of a whitewater boat. But it happens. People yeah. bust up their stuff. So it got me looking and insurance for water sports. Uh, in Canada, insurance is not mandatory for water sports, Lib- liability insurance for craft owners and operators. But we, the, this one website says, we must stress the importance of insuring your equipment. It's something you care about. It could also turn out to be expensive. Um, I came across the invoice for my very first canoe back in 1992. <laughs> How did you fir- manage to the, find the that? The first new... Oh, I have... Did you go looking I, for it? dude. I found... I was looking for a couple of things and I found papers going back <laughs> to the 90s. Like, like my shredder at work has been working overtime oh, yeah. the last couple of days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but in 1992, my first canoe cost me 700 Dollars and twelve cents. I laughed when I saw that. The twelve cents. Can you just round really? it off, dude? Just round it to seven hundred. Like yeah. twelve cents is going to. No, break we want you, that right? twelve cents. Yeah. Now you're spending upwards like three thousand dollars and up, easy. Well, a decent for uh, a decent one. A right? decent carbon Kevlar canoe is like forty five hundred bucks. Yeah. So that's when I was talking to my insurance people. That's sort of the number I said: three thousand and up. Uh, it says it can also turn out to be expensive, your your boat. Should you have an accident, liability insurance for your favorite water sport will give you peace of mind. They say follow our tips um, for stress-free fun on the water. Insure your equipment. Too many water sports enthusiasts fail to insure their gear. Depending on your sport, insurance could save you from a financial loss. Coverage is available through your home insurance. Buying a new kayak, canoe, or paddle boat? Contact your insurer. They'll point you towards the coverage you need. Take out a $2 million in liability insurance. Hmm. Subject to a certain limit, your home insurance might provide civil liability coverage for your water-based activities. Some exclusions apply. Talk to your representative to learn more. 
Uh, certain sports federations and water sports clubs offer insurance for members, but that would be like the water sports clubs would be yeah, that's if you're doing club an events, event, club activities, club events. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, examples are Canoe Kayak Quebec, yeah, uh, a nonprofit organization that promotes canoeing and kayaking in the province, and uh, the Recreational and Competitive Whitewater Sports Federation. Uh, they may offer a type of insurance you need. Specifics for individual water sports, for personal watercraft, there are insurance companies can that can insure your personal watercraft through your home insurance, like you said. Um, you just got to talk to your home insurance people and say, hey, here's what I've got. What can you do for me? And you have to specify as well, you know, the kind of insurance you're looking for. Oh, yeah. Paddlecraft, whether sea kayaking, river canoeing is your thing, you can get accident insurance coverage by joining a club with group insurance or becoming a member in uh, like a um, provincial or national organization because they may have coverage. Yes. Like I say, the, the one of the things I saw was the, the Quebec organization that, you know, you can get uh, coverage through them. So, yeah, joining a club or a provincial national organization may help as well. Imagine if you were an instructor for like Paddle Canada – you would have automatic insurance well, because if you're doing you're an yeah, instructor. Yeah, for that. But if you were just out at doing events for some Paddle Canada thing, a gathering, a do whatever, then you'd have to maybe the club might cover if, you. Yeah. If, if you're an instructor event I think it would be because if you're teaching, right? Yes. It would cover. But if you're just out toodle doodle leaving about, it wouldn't yes. cover you. Or but if you're with a like a Paddle Canada event Mm-hmm. And you're part of Paddle Canada, you pay dues, and it was an, a, a sanctioned event. Maybe then you might be covered. Yeah. But yeah, it's you'd, have to, say, you'd, you'd have to double You'd check. want to be asking some questions. Yeah. And really, what it comes down to, like for, for me, I, I've got a like a 20 year old canoe. I'm not going to bother insuring that. Right. But if I were to buy a new one, I might well, want to consider it. Depends what your deductibles and, and, yeah. and premiums are, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, if, if yeah, sure, it's 20. But I mean, if they're going to give you fifteen hundred bucks for it, hmm. based on like a six dollar, yeah. you know, twenty dollar a year sort of thing, yeah, then yeah. maybe it's, it's it's worth it, right? Something maybe. happens, and that's fifteen hundred bucks towards your boat, your new boat. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my old one at seven hundred bucks now, thirty something years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still worth. Yeah, it's still worth uh, <laughs> seven hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah, it's it. worth more now. So yeah, I I talked to uh, had a little brief discussion with my insurance lady there. Um, she says three thousand dollars would be high for the automatic coverage options. Mm-hmm. So if you got like a forty five hundred dollar boat, you Look, definitely need to talk to some of the sea kayaks out there are like six, seven thousand. You, it's like you definitely need to have a, a specific yeah. uh, rider on your your home insurance to cover. Yeah. So you'll definitely want to be talking to your insurance people on that. Don't just expect your house insurance to cover yeah. that. Because that that's what one significant amount of money. Like if you you go out and you spend the money in the first place, and then it gets stolen. Like I know for me, like it's it would be. It would be a quite a lift to to pay, spend forty five. That's why I don't have a new canoe because mm-hmm. I'm not going to spend forty five hundred bucks on a canoe. But if I were to buy one and get a good new decent one and then have it stolen, 
I couldn't afford to buy a second one. Yeah. And chances are, like I say, with that kind of money, it may not be covered under your house or your car insurance. Exactly. Because right? it's too much for the, the current rider. That Yeah. Uh, she said, I'd recommend the boat owners speak to their individual home insurance provider since coverage varies and deductibles could apply. It would be worth checking out, especially if the insurance company allows you to schedule the items separately. There would be an additional premium in that case, but again, might be worth it to protect your investment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you got a, a new $5,000 boat. I think this is something a lot of people just don't think about it. Until, well, until we discussed it, I don't know if we came across it on a Gear Junkie article or something, but we something prompted us to talk about it a couple insurance, weeks ago. Insurance, yeah, and then I started looking into it. Yeah. But a few years back, we have our trailer stored at a, a, at a lot. Yeah. And there was a fire, another trailer there oh, caught yes. fire. Do you remember the Owasco yep. fire? Yeah. Yep. So we all had to take, we had to book an appointment so we could go make sure our trailers weren't affected. Mm-hmm. And I found out at that point that the, none of my insurance covers oh. my trailer if it is stored off my property. Huh. I thought it was still covered under my insurance. Yeah. And no, if you are not using it and it is not stored at your house, it is not covered. So but that's if a it caught trailer. on fire, yeah, this is a pop-up trailer. But what is a motorhome? Same deal. Because my motorhome carries its own insurance. Do you pay the insurance twenty-four or uh, three hundred sixty-five days a year? Yes. Then I, I, I think imagine it would be it's covered under yeah. that. Yeah. But you might want to check about when it's stored. Mm-hmm. Might be a question worth asking. Yes, exactly. Because yeah, when if it was parked at my house or we were using it, mm-hmm. my insurance kicks in. Yeah. But because it was stored on somebody else's property yeah. for the winter, yeah. my insurance would have said, sorry. Yeah. Sorry to bad. So sad. Yeah. So yeah. And you for didn't people, have care and control of your property. So that would go the same, I would imagine, if you store your boats on somebody else's property. Stick them in a storage unit? Be, or somebody, oh yeah, you, you got a barn? Can I stick these over yeah. in the corner of your barn for the winter? Might be covered under their insurance. Probably not. Because they're not their boats. Yeah. Right? That'd be a very sticky situation. So if if you have very expensive boats and newer boats, mm-hmm. you might want to talk to your hmm. insurance people just in case. Yeah. Hmm. But anyway, just a little thing I thought was uh, interesting. I thought I'd follow up on and uh, found a little bit of information. Because those insurance people, they'll get you any way they can. <laughs> you know... Um, speaking of boats, <laughs> speaking of boats, so I've been talking about, I've been talking about trying to find a new boat for oh, a while. Oh, I saw that nice blue one you were looking at. The blue Somebody one? Somebody sent you. No, it wasn't the blue one. It was an old cedar canvas. Wasn't it blue? No. What color was that? It was, it was black, Dirt? mold, brown, black. Oh, I was looking on my phone. It looked like it was <laughs> black, blue, mold. Yeah. Thanks, Clint. So Clint sent me, hey, this might be something you're interested in. It's like... <laughs> See your price range. <laughs> yeah. No gunnels. <laughs> I, I did reach out to the guy who's selling it. I did reach out to the guy. I said, hey, just for curiosity's sake, because uh, I know from, because my uh, my cedar canvas, it was built in 1952. It had a, it had a 
stamp on the you know, on the inside of the bow. And the stamp, if you research the stamp code, it uh, what it told me was that it was built in Peterborough, Ontario in 1952. And it gave a month to or something. Anyway, so it's, it's I asked the guy, hey, is there a code stamped on the inside of the hull? And uh, he couldn't find it, so... But it was I, I was like really interested. He says, I don't know how old it is, but it looks really old. It's like, yeah, well Well, it's been sitting outside in all the <laughs> no, elements. It was in the barn. It was in was a barn it? and it was hauled outside for the photo. It didn't so. look in good quality, that's for sure. <laughs> no. No. You no. could got a first I bet you, you could have talked him down to free. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, that won't that that there there comes a point as much as you'd love to have a uh, like nineteen early nineteen hundreds cedar strip or something. Yeah, yeah. Just for historical value, there comes a point where it's just not salvageable. Yeah, right. So you can see it's coming apart. Yeah, you can see the ribs are exposed. Yeah, it's it's seen better days, but the guy's still trying to sell it for two hundred bucks. Yeah. There's nothing blue in here. I don't know what you saw. I don't think that's... I didn't see that picture. Yeah. This is the main picture the guy sent. Yeah. Maybe that's the one I was sort of looking at on my phone. It looked kind yeah. of bluish. <laughs> I could have been drinking at the time. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it is... It, I, I was interested. It was like, ooh. Hmm. Is there a little, if there was anything history, significance, say it was one of those New Brunswick ones. So it would have so. sat in the garage with your other one. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> never never to see the light of it's, day it's, or the it's feel the water <laughs> caressing its hull. It's currently stored in my mother-in-law's basement. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got room for a second, boat? Just asking. Asking uh, for a friend. Yeah. This one won't take up much room. I can fold it. <laughs> I can fold it and it comes in a box. <laughs> Comes in pieces and I'm like, it's stackable. Yeah. Oh man. Anyway, um, Jeff's maps. Oh yes. How exciting let's, is that? Let's have a little chit chat about Jeff's map. Jeff's mm-hmm. maps were the go-to uh, canoe tripping map. Yeah. Um, especially for Algonquin Park. Uh, our buddy Jeff McMurtry, and there was a little. Split between Jeff and his business partner a, a number of years back there. It was a bit messy. Won't get into details. And Jeff ended up throwing up his hands and just walking away from yep. it. As uh, hurtful as that was, it was probably the best thing for Right for the him. best mentally. Yep. It was like it was, he was dealing with a lot of stress dealing with that other guy. Yeah. So, yeah, he walked away from it. But then I don't even know if it was a year later. He joined his buddy Decky. And they came out with new maps under the name Unlostify. Yes. Uh, colorful, waterproof, um, canoe tripping maps that covered Killarney, French River, Kawartha Highlands, and Massasauga. And, of course, they had planned to make a Algonquin one and waited and waited yep. and waited and waited. And the Algonquin map was talked about and was said to be in the works. A few years went by. Corona hit couple more years went by, still no Algonquin <laughs> map. Yeah. Uh, now, this jet, this past week, Jeff has come out with some news. He and Dickie have, uh, Decky have parted ways. No details, but it sounds like there was no drama. Yeah, it seems amicable. Yeah, they uh, just dissolved the business. Yep. But Unlostify is now Maps by Jeff. Mm-hmm. 
So company number three. Maps by Jeff and the long-awaited Algonquin Park Canoe Roots map is available. Yay! Now available. Uh, it is in... Yeah, so there you reached out to Jeff for some specs and he sent a couple of things. Yeah. Um, he does have the Killarney, French River, Kawartha, Highlands, Massasauga, and Tomogamy maps in the Unlostify format, that, like how they looked. But the new Algonquin map has some modifications. So it doesn't look like the old Jeff's map. It doesn't look like Unlostify. He's created a brand new format. Yeah. Uh, it's similar, but the, the, the to before where the map is split into five sections, the Algonquin map is west, central, east, north, and south. Yeah. Uh, this time they're double-sided and rather than single-sided, which has allowed Jeff to boost this, the, the scale by about just shy of 70%. Yeah, so you get so large things are so much larger. Map, yeah. yeah. And he's got so much detail on his original Jeff's maps yeah. that it's almost to the point where it's hard to read mm-hmm. stuff. I had the electronic version. I would take it into work and blow it up. Zoom, zoom, zoom. And, yeah. and just print yeah. off sections. So yeah. if I knew I was like, I was going somewhere on this day, I would print that section. Exactly, yeah. So in yeah. my map case, I had yeah. that out and, yeah. and could join it up to the other other pages sort of thing. Uh, new icons on the map. For example, the portage distance icon that used to say 600 meters on this portage. Yeah. Well, now it shows a little picture of the portage with the gradient on it. So, so if it's elevation? at the beginning oh, okay. and then flattens out, okay. he shows that. Oh, nice. Or if it looks like a dome sort of thing, mm-hmm. he shows that with the with nice. little different things in it. It's That's, a lot of footwork to get that detail down. Right? Like you'd have to, like, I know if I was going to create something like that, I'd have to walk that portage a couple times. And then there's a lot of portages in there to get all the details on. Yeah. Wow. But he's he's had a lot of people help him out over the yeah. years with information, right? Mm-hmm. Like we even sent them information on that site's no longer there. It's yeah, yeah, over yeah. here now and, and stuff like that. So um, QR codes. There's, like, if you go to Opiongo on his new map, the launch, like Opiongo store, mm-hmm. it's a, it, there's a QR code there that yeah. you can hit with your phone, and it opens up a website on uh, mapsbyjeff.com, but then there's a, it goes to a page called Opiongo Start Point, and the page gives you a bunch of info about the launch spot, uh, description, parking, permits, location, outfitters, if any, yes. except yeah. all that sort of stuff on the page. So that's That's pretty cool. It's pretty brilliant. He's a smart lad. He he knows how to do. He knows his business. Oh, definitely. Uh, they're waterproof, which is all. They, they, his key. original ones weren't. Yeah, but the, the Unlostify were, and these ones are waterproof yeah. as well. And yeah, that that's a big thing because how many times have you had a a map blow <laughs> so off the the very pack into the very the last trip we did just before we left. My, we were looking at the route, and the, and it's it was Algonquin, the official Algonquin canoe routes map by friends of of Algonquin, and it 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 had a couple seams that had blown out, so I would just dug through the pile of other stuff, and it's like, oh, there, this map will do, and we we're like partway through the trip, and it's like these campsites aren't lining up. There's not a campsite here. There's supposed to be one here, and then we got, I got to really look close at the map. The one I dug out was a 2013 map. <laughs> Things change. (laughs) Yes, things definitely did change. Yeah. It's like, I need a new map. Well, and they also changed. They used to be red, and then now they're black. 
hmm. the campsites and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas back in the day, originally black sites meant they were low unmaintained, low unmo- maintained, yeah, or, yeah. unmaintained, yeah, portages, and, the, I mean, and then all of a sudden they changed everything. I know. Like, what and are you doing like, to wait me? Wait a minute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. When you buy a map from Jeff, uh, you'll get six different formats, a printed waterproof tear-resistant copy, an Avenza map compatible file for iOS and Android, a Garmin custom map file compatible with most Garmin GPSs except the InReach series, a Google Earth file, a high-resolution JPEG, great for making enlargements, and a GeoTIFF compatible with most mapping software. Bonus, if you buy all five Algonquin maps, you also get a special set of files that cover the whole park. Nice. Well, I'm hoping this one really takes off for him again. I mean, Jeff's maps really took off. Everybody loved those yeah. ones. But like I say, unfortunately, it came to uh, a, a bad ending there. But I hope now that he's, he's, he's getting on with this one and he knows what he's got to do and how to protect himself. And mm-hmm. I hope, I hope it all becomes just as good as, you know, basically just take off from where he left off. Yes. Before yes. go to maps by for more info on the maps and pricing and discounts available and take a look at them and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, if you're into uh, canoe tripping in Ontario, yeah, definitely he's, he's got, he got you covered. Exactly. He's got, uh, like we said earlier, Clarny, French River, Crother Highlands, Massasauga, Tomogamy Maps, and now the Algonquin Map. Uh, I did send him a message and he replied as well. The original Unlostify Maps that he has, yeah. he's, he still has some um, stuff, to, some of them to sell out. Yes. But when they're gone, he's going to change them over to, to his maps new format. Jeff. Yeah. Right? To the Maps by Jeff format. Okay. So eventually Unlostify Maps will be totally gone. Get them now yeah. with the yeah. collector's items. Get them now with the collector's <laughs> items, people. So mapsbyjeff.com for more info. And Jeff, uh, buddy, hope you're, hope it takes off for you. Yeah. Good luck, buddy. Congrats. Uh, uh, are you buying his maps? I am. I'm going to get a full set. You're going to get a full set, are you? I, I'm, I am going to get a full set because we do trip a lot into mm-hmm. Algonquin. Uh, I, what I had hoped for, and it turns out he doesn't have it, is so he, I, somebody had asked the question, about unfolded maps because they want to hang it like art. Yeah. So he will sell it that way, but it's in five parts, double-sided. So it won't make for wall art because I wanted one giant sheet. Like years- How big do you want it? Just art. Garfunkel? Yes. So one of the, one of the things I want to do is just hang it on a wall, right? Or hang it in my garage as, as artwork, as a, as a planning tool, but uh, I'm not going to hang. So I'd have to buy 10 of them because it's double-sided and it's going to be a collage and I don't want that. But, but Mm -hmm. he does have the full park JPEG file. He does. And one of the things he used to do in the past, and I was very tempted to do it, but uh, so he could, I remember talking about this like over a decade ago, he would, he could and would, but it would be expensive, print it on a, what's the, like a Tyvek. Mm-hmm. And so it would be, you could use it as a tarp or a. I did print him one as a tarp. You did. <laughs> was that you then I was talking to? I remember hearing yeah. about it. Yeah, I his very first map. Yeah, um, he sent me the, the the electronic copy. So it was you I was talking. And to. I took it into work and printed a copy, and it was massive. Yeah, 
and I gave it to him. We were on it. We met. We met up. Mm-hmm. They were going and uh, on a canoe trip. Yeah. Um, for me, it was just a weekend, but their weekend for them was continuing on for another week. Him and his buddy at the time. Yeah. And um, so I gave him that map rolled up. And I guess their tent or something was leaking <laughs> so on the they trip, ended up using so it? they ended up using it as a tarp. <laughs> and it, I, I printed on a uh, vinyl, yeah. a vinyl banner material, okay. and it was the full size thing. I'm thinking I didn't think it was going to be that huge, but <laughs> yeah, they ended up using it as a tarp. Awesome. I think it'd be great if it was on like a Tyvek material, like a soft canvas mm-hmm. or like a soft tarpy material, like a, maybe a sil nylon printed on something like that, so you could use it as a tarp. So you can sit there, look up at night, and draw pictures on your map. Yeah, see where you're going sure. tomorrow. That or put it on a fleece or like a like a camp blanket. The whole map. Yeah, we don't do that sort of. That thing. would be neat, though. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to print on a piece of wood? Yeah, we don't do that either. <laughs> but how about Ty- a mug? Would you like it on a mug? Yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> Tyvek material would be neat, though. <laughs> That'd be cool. I don't know if we have Tyvek at work. Hmm. Waterproof, mm. breathable. Well, I can get you on some nice banner or some vinyl. No, that'd be too heavy. I want to be able to put it in a stuff sack, like a tarp. Oh, well, you want to take – you're going to take a full-size map with you. No, it's, <laughs> that just doesn't make sense. It would be neat. It would be really neat. It's like you have a sill nylon tarp or a sill tarp, and it's got a map of a Gulkin Park on it. I think that's brilliant. And you'd have to bring a little sticky note that says, you are here. <laughs> and keep moving the little <laughs> red keep dot. keep moving it every day. <laughs> exactly. I don't know if we have anything that would be waterproof like that. Everything we print outdoors is. Yeah. And as well, it would fade in the sunlight and everything, right? Of in course. The weather. Would, yeah, yeah. So you'd only get maybe a year out of it. Mm-hmm. One camping season before everything starts to. Yeah. And then you hang it in your garage as a. Yucky. Hang it from the ceiling of your garage as artwork. Or you just get one and hang it as artwork and take your paper. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho. Yeah. Good luck, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm going to need another beer for this next one. Speaking of beer, we're on our our last can of banter. This is Amber Ale. Banter Brewing. It's pretty good. Water, malted barley, hops, yeast, and it contains barley. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Banter, uh, Banter and Company brewing their Amber Ale. It's a really nice one, too. And yeah, this, I got a couple stouts still left in my. Mm-hmm. Aren't we supposed to do some meet and greet there sometime in the future? We need to do that. Yeah, and our, like our 900th episode or something, or <laughs> 450th or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, we got we, no, we to do another, uh, get, get a bunch of people up there and ch- chat about paddling, especially during the winter. Meet, meet there on a Sunday afternoon yeah. for a pint or something. So, oh, I don't even know where to start with this one. You sent this, me an article. This is a long one. You sent me an article <laughs> and said this would be a great topic. And I said, okay. It took me nine days to read it. <laughs> and then I started piecing it together and it ended up being about 20 pages. It's a good story. Maybe a good it's, story, but good a- Lord, mister. <laughs> So this guy did put some effort into this. He uh, he wrote a gigantic article. It was Gear Junkie, I right? think he... Was no, this was Outside was it, Magazine. It was Outside Magazine, yeah. yeah. Outside Magazine, you sent me this one. And I don't know if maybe dude gets paid by the word, because if he did, he just bought himself a yacht. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, good <laughs> Lord. And you, you sent me this <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, and this would be a great topic. Yeah. And it's taken me this long to get through it. To compile it, yeah. 
like, dude. So, uh, it is a, it is a good story on so many different levels, and that was part of the things. When when you send a story or I come across something, I always have to say, how does this relate relate to paddling? Um, and this one here, it's a couple guys are on a canoe trip, and it's about environmental stuff and. And how he rivers on a bit of everything. Yeah, how rivers that were are long, long gone in California yeah. because of the big floodwaters and all that. There's even a big massive lake that's bigger than what's the other lake in California that starts with a T. Oh uh Yeah. Yeah. That, that lake T. that lake that starts with a T in California. <laughs> yeah, this lake is bigger. People have houseboats on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, that's how long it took me to read. There's so many different names and things on here. But he talks about this river has been gone for a couple of decades and and parts that were left to die for 60 years. And now because these waters... Diverted dams, irrigation, farming, you name it. Like there's... Since since, uh, this area has been settled, there's been so much... Damage to the environment and changes in the river, changing in the water sources, and and where the water goes, yes, how it gets there, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, basically, it all starts with a uh, trying to relive a, um, or not relive to to follow a trip that was done by a couple of gentlemen back in, in 1983. The last yeah. time there was this kind of flood, this kind of epic flooding, yeah. So uh, grab yourself a beverage, sit back and relax. <laughs> we'll wait. Go grab one. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll wait a few minutes. Yeah. Um, record winter storms under the Central Valley uh, turned the Central Valley of California into a 300-mile-long flood zone. So Outdoor Outside magazine sent writer Brendan Burrell and a photographer to check out these conditions that hadn't been seen in 40 years. So if anybody remembers... I 83 the f- is 40 years ago now. Was that 83 like <laughs> about 10, Wasn't 15? that last... Yeah, was that a decade like ago? 15 years ago, 1983. <laughs> Billy Idol and Def Leppard. and High school, yeah. Woo! <laughs> no, it was in junior high. Were you in junior high? 1983? Yeah. I was mm-hmm. in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, grade 10. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Those were the good old days. <laughs> anybody, anyways, anybody remember in the spring there was a lot of a lot of stories in the news about. So over the winter there was like all these ski, ski areas were just they had to close ski areas because there was so much snow. Yeah. Like the they couldn't run the lifts because the sixty lifts, feet of snow in Donner it Pass, was crazy, crazy amounts of snow. Yeah, and then of course in the spring, all the snow melt plus all the rains. Like there was just it went crazy. There was flooding everywhere. Mm-hmm. So these guys, they were he recalled a event back in the eighties where these two guys ran these flooded rivers all the way down to San Francisco, and and they said, let's. Do a rerun of this. So they start off, he says, it was a Saturday, two days before Memorial Day. So this was just this this year. Yeah. County health authorities had warned the public to stay out of the contaminated water, an unwholesome brew of pesticides and animal waste. Think all the runoff Mm -hmm. from farms, right? And that's the stuff they're paddling in for the next. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. As for the Kings County Sheriff, during media interviews, he had informed would-be gawkers that the lake bottom, a vast depression in the southern end of the nation's breadbasket, 
was private property. Trespassing rules would be strictly enforced. They had a shuttle driver, Vincent Ruiz. Uh, Ruiz? Ruiz. Ruiz. 360-pound trucker, originally <laughs> from Guadalajara, who owned a 13-acre farm a few blocks from the flood flood zone. As he's driving them to where they're going, uh, he steers around a road closed sign with a without without a care and says, "Damn, I hadn't seen this." Uh, he says with quiet awe as we gazed upon acres of flooded pistachio trees, all goners. So much damage, eh? Yeah, we crossed a narrow bridge on 16th Avenue, which ran south from the city of Lemur, and parked at a high spot just before gov- uh, pavement dipped into the drink. Photographer Tom Fawkes was there waiting. Vincent leaned against the hood of his Jeep and he said that it was better us than him. <laughs> How many times have I said that? <laughs> better you to me, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No way he was getting in that water. <laughs> um, I recognize this unusual spring for what it was. A once-in-a-generation opportunity to travel by way of the federally navigable waters. 200-plus miles from the heart of these floods... Between January 1st and March of 2023, a total of 31 atmospheric rivers dumped nearly 60 feet of snow on Donner Pass and rain everywhere else. That's incredible, eh? Last time this much snow fell was in the mountains uh, was 1952, which they say is the same time the very first season of I Love Lucy had finished filming. <laughs> Just to give you a point yeah. of reference. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Storms resurrected the lowland connections among the valley's water-starved rivers, these th- whose flow had been long uh, ago hijacked by farming barons. Some 326 billion gallons of liquid would be cascading down from the Sierra Nevada, undercutting homes, drowning multi-million dollar almond orchards, and putting towns at risk of becoming fishbowl dioramas. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Sheriffs in five counties were trying to keep people out of the surging rivers with emergency orders. This The whole thing I got from this this article as well is how many different types of nut trees are in, in there. And, and they it, do talk about it a little farther down. They do. And it's not like it's not for local. It's, it's all about uh, corporate yeah. know, pilfering of it, – it's it all goes overseas. Yeah. Uh, San Joaquin Valley, not a place where outdoorsy people usually find themselves, roughly 200 miles long and up to 70 miles wide. Huge swath of nut trees and desolation you must cross when heading to the mountains or driving the quickest route between Los Angeles and San Francisco. But, he says, I wanted to see what John Muir had once called the, the floweriest, floweriest place a piece, piece of, of, world. of world I ever walked. And to daydream about what it was like when the rivers here ran wild. Hmm. More than 80% of California's water is consumed by farms. That's a huge number, eh? Huge number. Uh, and I hope to better understand how it might be managed for the benefit of all in a hotter, drier, and all around more unpredictable era. Because that's the thing is you don't know what's coming. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like they're saying drought, 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 drought. And then all of a sudden this year, flood. Yeah. And then the next 10 years, maybe another big drought. 
Yeah. Or the next 10 years may be this much rain every year. Right? Now, I know up here they're talking about the El Nino and all that sort of stuff. So they're talking a mild winter this year, but. Yes. Who knows? Uh, he'd been regularly reviewing satellite maps of the ex- expanding flood zone, which, you know, you got if you're doing something like this, you definitely need to be planning for. Identifying potential campsites for a trip that would take between 10 days and two weeks, depending on routes and conditions. Unfazed by my disclaimers about heat stroke, backbreaking portages, and drinking water that had the potential to cause, irrever- cause irreversible <laughs> damage to organs and, and chromosomes. chromosomes. <laughs> Tom only wanted to discuss the menu. I'm trying to imagine captaining my kayak, he says, during a scouting mission a couple days before their departure. I've got the munchies. What am I reaching for? <laughs> I need a, I'm planning ahead. I'm planning ahead. What am I munching on? What am I snacking on? Right? I'm not bringing a big bag of chips. <laughs> right? Uh, we shoved off late May, scraping our rudders over the submerged roadway and paddling west. Wind swells were soon clapping against my boat catapulting that suspect water into my thighs one cupful at a time (laughs) south and east there was water as far as the eye could see uh though an app on my phone indicated we were passing over land owned by jg boswell company and that's where it's uh interesting when you start getting a bit of the history of the area from them right farming how the farming grew how it started and and the water a century ago the original boswell brought Prima cotton from his native Georgia to the San Joaquin Valley. With the help of dams, canals, levees, and pumps, he dried up the lake so that he could uh, sow its black soil with cotton seed. He considered the effort his master stroke, proof of man's dominant dominance over spiteful weather. Others would frame it as an ecological tragedy. Once the largest body of water in the west, the Talare Lake, uh, was in the wettest years four times its size of Tahoe. I knew there was another T lake there. So it's four times the size of Lake Tahoe. Yeah. It he had, drained the whole thing yeah. for, for agricultural use. Cotton, you can yeah. never do that these days. Oh, no. But no, yeah, no, he no, just no. drained an entire lake for, for growing cotton. Uh, had steelhead trout. Yes. Pelicans. Surrounding grasslands were home to tule elk and grizzly bears. The native Yokut people who once fished and hunted these lands now run a casino a few miles north. Well, they can't fish anymore. They have to make a living, right? right? Uh, Tulare Lake may no longer exist on most maps today, but its ghost still returns in flood years, like this year. Yeah. Before our departure, we sought intel from anyone we could find, including some of the few guys in modern history to attempt this before. John Sweetser and Bill Cooper, both residents of Bakersfield. June 1983, the last time Tulare Lake filled, uh, the men, both in their mid-30s, launched two kayaks into downtown Bakersfield. They made it to San Francisco Bay in 12 days. That's That's pretty fast. Right? Yeah. 350-mile route followed three rivers, uh, first headed west along the Kern for 20 miles before turning north on man-made flood channel that uh, flowed through marshland and into the southern end of Tulare Lake. 
After crossing the lake, they paddled upstream on the southernmost branch of the Kings for two days until they reached the army and island weirs. Two dams they portaged before descending the North Fork. Floated uh, the King to its confluence with the San Joaquin River, which took then the next 100 miles or so before split, spitting them out uh, at the San Cr- Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta near Stockton. Finally, they paddled west into East Bay, taking out at the dock in Richmond. Sounds like a great trip to me. I know. Sweetser, now 75, lives on the north side of Bakersfield in a white cottage with peeling paint and a couple of busted cars That's out front. pretty cool. They went and tracked them down. Yep. Uh, as we pulled up to the house, we saw an elderly man hunchback on his way to the lawn, across the lawn, looked like he just crawled out of a coal fire furnace, <laughs> bare toes jutting out of his uh, Converse All-Stars. So I'm thinking his big old trip didn't get him anything. <laughs> no, 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 no. The man had been a river rat, and there was little else he cared for in life. In the 70s, he had become a hero in the whitewater community after fighting to overturn a trespassing conviction related to his use of a fenced-off public easement to put it on, uh, put in on the Kern. Still, people fight that sort of thing. Yes, and, right? and that's where we get the navigable waterway rules. Mm-hmm. People fight these things throughout the years, and and if you don't fight that fight, then then private interest or corporate interest will block access and block yeah. usage. Well, and that's it. It's like, well, it's always been you couldn't launch here forever, so well, not it's forever. not starting now, <laughs> right? No, well, that's what it yeah. becomes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So eventually somebody's got to help fight for it. Uh, the adventure was still fresh in Sweetster's, Sweetster's mind. He recalled every fork and bend. We had to paddle 12 hours a day to make any sort of progress, he said. He and Cooper injured sleep, steep headwinds in the Fresno Slough, became disoriented in flooded forests, dined most nights on cold canned beans. Yummy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sweetser still had kayaks they used on the trip. He dragged out a dirty green fiberglass kayak with a decal that read ejection seat. <laughs> Built himself in the 70s, was proud of it. And uh, before we left, Sweetser gave us a stack of research materials he accumulated, including a photocopy of a historical map of Tulare Lake. Oh, cool. That'd be pre- that's cool to get that kind of, mm-hmm. especially it's 40 years old, right? Yeah. The vibe was very different that evening when we met Cooper at a tidy nature center run by his nonprofit, the Kern River Parkway Foundation. Back in 83, he was motivated by conservation, not kayaks. These days, he enjoys doing work in the name of River Health and Recreation. Organization has built bike paths, planted trees, fought so far unsuccessfully to rest back some of the Kern's flow from farmers to restore its rest through downtown Bakersfield. And this is a, a big thing that the whole article just sort of went through constantly was yeah. this this fight to get the, the water back from farmers. Exactly. And so farmers seem to have that overriding interest. It's like, well, no, I have crops. I need to feed my crops. I need to feed your, my crops. So it's just, it's that constant battle. Like they, they say that uh, the Colorado River, uh, if you did the math, they, the water le- is leased out to farms and other corporate interests at like 120% of the rate of the flow. So it's basically, there's more water leased out than is in the river. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cooper didn't have fond memories of his traveling companion. So <laughs> apparently they had two different. Originally, all I wanted to do was get from Bakersfield to Tulare Lake. 
The men had gone to the same high school, but didn't really know each other before a mutual friend connected them for the trip. As they were putting in at the beach park downtown, a newspaper reporter who Sweetser had invited out asked Cooper how long he thought it would take them to get to San Francisco. <laughs> this was the first Cooper had heard of that destination. <laughs> he thought they were just going to Tulare Lake. Nope. Yeah, and and at the time, it's not here, but it was. I remember reading about it. It was. He was saying that it's like he was. He wanted to back out immediately. He's like, "Oh, I'm not yeah. going." And the uh, the journalist says, "No, you're committed. You have to go now." We're like, I've already reported on well, it. Was, he he called his dad to come and pick him up, and yeah, his yeah. dad told him, "No, oh, it's yeah, on the news." His dad, yeah, no, it's yeah. already on the news. You got to go now. <laughs> you're already on the yeah. news, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so he was not impressed. <laughs> uh. Tom and I scouted their route and concluded that, in the face of the valley's insatiable thirst, it would be impossible to repeat their entire trip. We decided we'd have to cut a hundred miles off. Uh, we'd cut the south of Hanford in the northern shore of Tulare Lake. From there, we'd retrace their route to the delta. So they had to cut some because it's just not doable. It wasn't right feasible, now. yeah. We are not seasoned paddlers, and we got crucial help from Dave Shively. Shively? Shively? Shively. Shively. Uh, who, an, an expert at Outside's parent company, Outside Inc., who suggested we use pedal boats to make shorter work of the upwind, upriver miles, sit on top pedal yaks. So kayaks with the, with the pedals, right? Yeah. Like Hobie makes. Uh, and they're popular with fishermen, that sort of thing. And he says, they look like something you would rent by the hour in Branson, Missouri. <laughs> Absolutely. Hulls of these kayaks are so stable you can stand on them, but they're also heavy, 100 pounds or so, compared with 40 pounds of a typical one. Uh, We would need to bring along wheels for the portages. (laughs) Yes. Tom and I had our first doozy of a portage around a dam at the northern end of the lake. Three trips for our gear and a team effort to wheel each boat across soft ground and up a steep, loose slope to head gates that were enough to make us reconsider our life choices. <laughs> what are we doing? I've been on portages, portages like that. Yeah, yeah. Man, what, why? Are what we am thinking? I doing here? What were we <laughs> thinking? Yeah. Um, when we put in again, we were soaked in sweat, but the riverbanks were startling to look, uh, starting to look, dare I say it, riparian. <laughs> Your favorite word. Yep. The water was still hemmed in by high le- levees, but it began to bend a little to the left than the right. We also glimpsed our first bunches of thick-stemmed tule grass and lakes, the lake's namesake. I told Tom the Yokut built rafts out of these buoyant reeds, which they used to float down the lake for spring fishing. What I didn't tell him was that the indigenous people were wise enough to discard the rafts after the descent and hoof it back to their villages. <laughs> <laughs> so this is sort of like when I mean, you just, the leader of the group just leaves out vital information. Yes, yes. You know, but to, Don't tell the vital. group or else they're going to split. Yeah. Uh, we talked about Sweetster and Cooper, who reportedly averaged 30 miles per day. Yeah. So he says, on the lake, we seemed like we could hum along indefinitely at a pace of three miles per hour and sprint as much as five or six, subtract three for the current we were fighting, and the result was disheartening. (laughs) With the flood flows, there were few eddies to sneak up, nor was venturing into sluggish water near the shore an option since aquatic plants would become tangled in our pedal drives. 
The cycling GPS I bought refused to acknowledge that we were moving. <laughs> uh, with them saying they were getting 30 miles per day, inconceivable in our current predicament. We knew Cooper's wife had unintentionally met them at one point during their journey, but is that all she did? Do you think they cheated? Yeah. I asked, not really serious. Something doesn't add up, Tom said, playing along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the end of the day we were spent, we made 17 miles in 13 hours. I busted one of my wheels during a portage, nearly took a bullet from a Yahoo shooting at targets on the bluffs. We passed up three good campsites and then found ourselves in the middle of a swamp at dusk. <laughs> Huzzah. <laughs> uh, pitching tents and high weeds. We slurped our meals from inside the safety of bug, bug nets. Ah, been there, done that. Hours later, temperature dropped into the 50s. The winds picked up. We realized we probably should have packed sleeping bags. This part surprised me. Why would you not pack sleeping bags? Like, what did they bring? Was it food and clothes and that's it? I guess. I guess you don't have room, much room on a paddle. You well, know, if you're bringing a tent, you're going to want to bring something to like they didn't, did they something. bring a tent? They I, don't. They actually. I don't think they. I don't think they say. did. Uh, emergency blanket. I brought tore into slivery silver. Uh, sliver, silvery slivers. Say that ten times real fast. <laughs> silvery slivers. When I tried to unfold it, it doesn't reflect well on us. Tom joked. <laughs> if you're going to be a night or two, I said it's okay to leave some stuff, but ten days. It's one of the dumber decisions I've been a part of. <laughs> Next day, it felt like the river was messing with us. We were paddling into stronger current, and our pace was slower. During lunch break, we kicked back in the shade of a willow tree. I was digging into a bag of pretzels when we saw a bobcat utility vehicle puttering along the opposite bank. I wave, never wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thinking they might be friendly locals curious to hear about our exploits. Never wave. No. No. Within a few minutes, the vehicle had crossed the bridge and was idling behind us. They appeared to be a middle-aged couple, both wearing shorts. Just wanted to let you know that the farmer who owns this property patrols it by drone, and he'll call the sheriff if he sees people here. Uh, the idea that a drone was a practical way to keep tabs on your almond crop was as outlandish as the idea that these two were trying to be helpful. <laughs> we're planning to stay in the river below the high water line, I said. The guy said, in Kings County, property parcels extend across the river. He actually owns both sides of the river, he said. I don't think he owns the river itself, I said, having recently studied basic navigability laws. Where do you two come from, the woman asked. <laughs> yeah, you know the conversation turning. Where are you from? Yeah, where are you from? Yeah. The lake, I said. What lake, she asked. <laughs> Tulare Lake. I thought that might be an icebreaker, but they swiveled their heads like robots and zipped off without another word. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded like an uncomfortable uh, conversation. Wait a minute. <laughs> Tom and I may have taken too much time to gather our things and start pedaling because by the time we reached the next bridge, a sheriff's cruiser was crossing over it. Another parked on the embankment over the river. Female deputy wearing dusky green tactical vest orders us out of our boats. Uh, stumbled up my footing in the muck. And climbed up to meet them. Nobody's allowed to be on the water, the second officer said as he emerged from his vehicle. We reluctantly dragged our boats and bags from the water and helped each other get them up to the roadside. As I pulled out my idea, one of the officers eyed our mound of gear and I told him what our plans were. Sounds pretty cool, his partner allowed. <laughs> Which, I mean, you hear what somebody's trying to do. You do think yeah. it's pretty cool, right? 
While the officer was in the back of the vehicle, I peered at my map and he saw the Fresno County line was a 10-minute drive to the north. Tom asked what the rules were in the next uh, next door were next door, and the officer shrugged. He said he was letting us off with a warning, which felt like a win, <laughs> but didn't change the fact that we were now stuck at the roadside in a place where Uber drivers were scarce. So their only friend in the valley being Vincent Ruiz. <laughs> hey, Vinny. <laughs> I gave him a call. 30 minutes later, he came rumbling up, grinning and hauling a six-foot trailer. I was disconcerting. <laughs> To see how fast he covered a distance that took us two <laughs> grueling days. And it wasn't sad to skip the last five miles of the upriver travel. He'd be dropping us off in the northern fork of the Kings, which meant we'd have current helping us out. About time. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, I would rather go and paddle up that river <laughs> against the current for the next couple days. So if you don't mind, <laughs> said no one ever. Uh, during our ride to the county line, we saw almond trees everywhere. Vincent talked about how they had taken over since the arrival in the U.S. in the late 90s. Right here, you used to plant tomatoes, watermelon, cantaloupe, onions, lettuce, all that kinds of stuff. Uh, he says he used to work in those fields. Hard to believe that roughly one-third of the irrigation water in California was now being used for nut crops, and 90% of those nuts were shipped overseas. There you go. With nuts covering more than a quarter of the farmland, the valley had essentially sold off its food security to Wall Street. Mm -hmm. While those almonds have, <coughs> excuse me, uh, have brought in more cash, the harvest is mechanized, so the wealth stays concentrated. 2019, seven valley towns made USA's Today's list of the 50 worst places to live in America. There you go. That just explains a whole It does. Lot. Do we really need that much, that many nuts? Well, it's because it's it's just money. It's a cash crop for those farmers, right? And so and so they're not even they're not even hiring hands to to harvest it. It's all mechanized. It's like just a few people gathering all that money, and it's mm -hmm. probably a corporate. Well, and the, he was saying though that when, when it comes to this sort of thing, back in the day, when you're you know if you had a bad crop of these tomatoes, watermelons, yep. cantaloupe, you had a bad. But if all of a sudden you lose all your almond trees. Yeah. That's bankruptcy. Uh-huh. That's a whole different, because these trees take like 25 years or something like that to mature. Exactly. And so if these trees die from this flooding, Meep. you got to wait 25 years. To right. That's, that's bankrupt. Could be bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. Um, hadn't told Tom yet, but I saw on my phone that Fresno County also had a river closure order in place. He's keeping a lot of stuff He's away from Tom. keeping a lot of stuff away from Tom, <laughs> I might say. And so did the county after that. While we had more than 100 miles traversed before we'd be free and clear, at our island campsite that night, I got on my phone and discovered that all along, as journalists, we <laughs> had been exempt from the state law that counties were, were citing. There you go. So next time I'm doing something where there might be issues, journalist. I'm just bringing my paddling adventures, my radio. paddling adventures radio media <laughs> journalist, yeah, business card, business card, badge. Thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm a journalist. Okay, on your way. Did you bring yours, Derek? No. Sucks to be you, dude. See you a hundred miles down the road. I don't know this guy. Arrest him. He's a I'm the guy that carries the bags. He was trying to sell me drugs. Arrest his ass. Oh. <laughs> 
Uh, going with the flow, we covered 60 miles over the next two days, crossed the Fresno Slough and made it to the San Joaquin River, zipped past flooded almond plantations and trees brown from tip to trunk. Hmm. Uh, Firebow, where we stopped for burritos. A couple of police officers spotted us on the river, chased us down. They let us a go after we told them we were reporters. By day four, we had a newfound confidence that nothing could slow us down. <laughs> we both hit a wall the next day, rather a dirt embankment, where we were southwest of Merced, standing on an unpaved road in our life jackets. According to every map I pulled up, we should have been looking at the next winding stretch of San Joaquin. Instead, we were squinting by a stagnant, trash-filled pool of water. In a ditch choked with vegetation, cut off from the main flow by an earthen dam and the closed gates of a weir. Sprinklers at a nearby farm were going chuk, And that's the sound they make, too. With water that should have been flowing in that channel, our channel. So, again, this is like, you know, farms are sucking up the water, so recreational boating is gone. Baffled by this situation, I called Jeffrey Mount, a geologist, kayaker, and author of a scholarly book called California Rivers and Streams. He was eager for an update. He actually asked this Jeffrey Mount guy if he wanted to be on the journey. Mm -hmm. But he says, no, I have other Professor Emirates stuff I have to do. (laughs) What a polite way of saying, are you joking? (laughs) Are you mad? I'm not going to do that. Are you mad? Uh, I told him how we had discovered that the entire flow seemed to be heading toward an unpromising body of flat water. Scanning satellite images from his home, he soon saw what I was talking about. On maps, the San Joaquin may look like a typical western river with a giant dam and reservoir in the mountains and then smaller dams along its course, but it's far stranger than that. The water flowing in the lower San Joaquin is no longer comes from its historic watershed. Mm-hmm. That's how much man has changed the course of these rivers. The last half of the 20th century, aware that all water being diverted from the upper San Joaquin, farmers on the drier west side of the valley decided they needed a new supply. At the Mendota Dam, the river is now replenished via a canal connected to the Sacramento River in wetter, cooler northern California. Imported water runs along the San Joaquin Riverbed for 20 miles until it reaches the Sac Dam, where normally most of it is shunted into an irrigation canal. Every drop of water, even in a moderate year, is managed down to the molecule, Mount says. Hmm. Like every drop of water is accounted for. Yeah. On where it goes, who it goes to, which farms, which canals. During this year's high water, we had the rare privilege of floating over the Sac Dam, which rode like an easy class one rapid. We had now arrived at a point where the excess water was moving north out of the riverbed through a series of bypass channels. Scummy ditch we had been looking at was a severed section of the riverbed known to federal regulators as Reach 4B, which has been left to die over the past 60 years. Yeah. 60 years. Farming interest, right? Mount said we should follow the path with the most water through a series of channels and sloughs that we had connect, reconnect with the mainstream of the San Joaquin further downstream. Uh, several major dams and bridges lay ahead of us. I told them you can keep your heads up, boys. Yep. 
Over the next five meandering miles, the landscape shifted dramatically. Wilted brown grass and cattle grazing on it gave way to fields of white daisies. Soon came upon a bridge that was too, well, I like this part, too <laughs> low to float under. Rather than endure another portage, I suggested to Tom we tie lines to the bow and stern, let the loaded boats flow under it, which Make, sounds yeah. right. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Electric cattle fence hugged the shore up to the base of the bridge where the bent wire pointed to the sky, standing knee deep, because you don't want your cows to escape him, standing knee deep in water next to the fence. I played out the rope to Tom, who was schlepping across the road to the downside, uh, downstream side. After a minute or so, Tom signaled he had it safely in hand. I suggested he follow me back to the other side of the bridge, but he waved me off. He was going on his own long Tom way round. <laughs> I'm not floating my boat through that tunnel. I do things difficult just because I can. <laughs> I was lowering myself from the bridge, about to drop onto the bank, when I felt a powerful blow to my chest, like I'd been sh- socked by some supernatural entity. I hung there, frozen, staring at the brown water swirling below, confused and in pain. Then I remembered the electric fence. <laughs> I dropped to the ground. <laughs> Tom heard me cry out and asked if I was okay. He told me to relax and wait until I was ready. Then we'd send the second boat under the bridge. We had miles to go and I was in no hurry to get there. <laughs> I just got electrocuted. <laughs> How was your day? Oh, don't ask. It was shocking. We rejoined the main stem of the San Joaquin late that afternoon. It was flowing with such volume that we could no longer discern the boundaries of the river channel. Hmm. So all of a sudden, this thing's massive. Yeah. Over the next 50 miles, each lazy bend bled into the next, making the river, which was barely ankle deep in spots last year, a couple miles wide. Our best chance for staying in the deeper, faster-moving current was to follow the path of the cottonwoods that marked the river's normal course. So this would have been when the same sort of thing that the 1983 guys yep. said they, you know, were in paddling through woods and yeah, forests and stuff forest like that, right? Water, yeah, yeah, flooded forests. We had to pedal constantly to maintain our bearing or else swirling floodwaters would send us into the dead zones on neighboring farmland. We only knew that we'd lost our way when we encountered a barbed wire fence, an irrigation line, or a half-submerged tractor. (laughs) It was exhausting in the way that a long drive is. Knees hurt, backs ache, bladders ballooned. Because the shore was largely inaccessible, rest stops were achieved by hanging onto tree branches. Yeah, if you can't get close to shore, yeah, you got to tie off to a tree or, or yeah, something just, hang just on to the tree and relax, relax yeah. for a bit, right? Late in the day, it was my custom to adjust my seat to a full recline, listen to my audio book. Uh, I found the relief from the boredom by counting refrigerators in the floodwaters. Well, made me fluff. While, while Tom <laughs> liked to evaluate his freeze-dried meal options for He's that He's always evening. thinking food. Right? I like Tom. I really like Tom. <laughs> Scenery kept improving. We put eyes on what I think was Refrigerator 10. We crossed the boundary into the San Luis National Wildlife Refuge, known as the Kesterson Unit. A doe and two fawns cowered on an island and watched us float by. A romp of otters sunning on the shoreline slinked into the water one after another. A very peeved beaver heard but not seen, slapped its tail on the surface, and up in the treetops, noisy egrets and cormorants nested together in dense rookeries. So they're starting to get into some so, good yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. 
We had entered the site of one of California's largely forgotten environmental disasters. This is, I found, very interesting. I'd never heard anything like this. Yeah, neither have I. 1952, farmers had started tapping the Sacramento River, uh, become even greedier, expanding onto the land on the destitute western side of the valley, which was never fit for agriculture. The water table there rose under irrigation. Mineral salts forced up into the topsoil, accumulated as the water evaporated. Ground became too salty for crops, a phenomenon that dryland farmers have known about since the dawn of agriculture in Mesopotamia. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's how long they've known about this sort of thing happening. And here yep. they were in 1952, it, it happened. Yeah, it's just leaching salt out of the earth. To address the situation, farmers demanded a drainage canal, which in 1975, 19, from 52 to 75, began transporting the mineral broth into a series of man-made ponds known as the Kesterson Reservoir. In the early 1980s, biologist Felix Smith and his colleagues at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service discovered that there were birds hatching there with deformities. Selenium levels in the brine were 10 times what was known to cause abnormalities in chickens. Most of the affected birds did not live long. Not good. So they were just making disaster after yeah, disaster yeah. after disaster. Biologists drafted a press release that sent it and sent it up the chain of command, but it never saw the light of day. There you go. So hidden. We just learned a lesson, but we're going to keep it secret. Yeah. Smith went to the media and blew the whistle, leading the leading to newspaper stories, a segment on 60 Minutes, and a congressional subcommittee hearing. In the end, the drain was shut down. We would see further evidence of the river's healing potential a couple days later at the confluence of the uh, Tuolumne. What did we say this? Tuolumne? Tuol- I don't remember. Tuolumne. Yeah, Tulum. Tuolumne. Tulum? No, Tuolumne. Tuolumne. River. Yeah, we, we Googled these names because there's so many. Tuolumne, Tuolumne River, which flows down from Yosemite. Yosemite. I hope. Yeah, Yosemite. <laughs> this was our seventh. There's some words. Just words. <laughs> <laughs> phonetics. Sometimes they just forget all about phonetics. <laughs> this was our seventh morning on the water, and the day's big event was connecting with Austin Stevenot and San Joaquin Valley Field Manager for the nonprofit River Partners who met us in a motorboat. He gestured, uh, gestured towards perfectly spaced roads of young saplings in the flood water. This wasn't another thirsty almond plantation, but a restoration plot with thriving young willows, cottonwoods, and box elders. Over the past hundred years, he said we've lost over 95% of our riparian forests. River Partners has brought this marginal land from farmers who had enough of the destructive cycle and drought and floods. Uh, it helping them get out of the bad situation. It's helping nature by putting stuff back the best way we can. Hmm. He took us up the Tuolumne River to the uh, Dos, Dos Rios Dos Rios Ranch, Dos Rios. the largest floodplain restoration project in California. More than sixteen hundred acres had been revived here along. The way the group built nest boxes for wood ducks made elevated bunny mounds so that endangered riparian brush rabbits have uh, a place to shelter during flush uh, fl floods and created a three-acre garden to protect native sage, sage 
Sedge, sorry, sedge. <laughs> uh, and deer grass uh, used by basket makers from the northern Sierra Miwok tribe. He was a member and had helped his grandmother gather the materials. Mm-hmm. They're, they're learning a lot about what's the... I don't know if that was the intent of their journey. I think they initially wanted to cover off the journey, but they're learning a lot about the damage that farming has created I think, in the area. I think the whole purpose of the, the journey was just to see during the flood if they could do it again. Mm-hmm. If it was possible to... If the, the, the rivers came back because of all the floods and hit all the spots. Yeah. But they're finding out all these other environmental impacts... And, I mean, from our point of view, look at all the recreational boating areas that have been lost Mm -hmm. because of of wanting all the- River runs and this, that. Farms and, you know, there's so many different things. Uh, Dos Rios was slated to be transferred to the state and opened to the public as California's newest park. It was a small step, but an important one. California conservation efforts have been largely coastal, where two-thirds of the population live, or in the mountains, where the land is too steep to plow and the soil too poor for crops. Hmm. That's where they make their big conservation areas, because yeah. no one's using it. Can't use right? it anyways. Conservation area. The river was picking up speed with every mile. The wind blew from the north, carrying the scent of the sea. Ten miles from Stockton, we camped under a full moon and heard a crash. Opposite bank calved into the water, taking with it what sounded like an entire tree. Erosions happened a big yep, time. there you go. We set off before dawn the next day, felt a sense of loss as we rounded a corner and saw the first line of two-story homes crammed together on a levee. The river dumped us into the Stockton ship channel where we had to stick close to shore to avoid the wakes of speeding pleasure boats and freighters that ply the waters. Was my first time in a delta, maze more than a maze of more than fifty-five islands and channels, covering more than a thousand square miles, where the San Joaquin and Sacramento rivers intertwine and spilled their fresh water into the salty bay. To the people who live around here, it's a sport fishing mecca, where you can catch four species of bass. To the farmers in the south, it's where their troubles begin. Billboards up and down the Interstate 5 claim that more than three-quarters of California's water is allowed to flow into the ocean, unimpeded, and, in their view, go to waste. A man-made drought, they call it. (laughs) It's funny. (laughs) Different points of view, right? Yeah, exactly. So that river running normally (laughs) is wasting good water, and and people who are on that river are saying, what, you want to suck it all up and throw it on, on farmland and grow crops? Right. So it, you can see both sides, but still, it's you, well, a lot of these people are diverting natural run rivers. Certainly, there's a man-made disaster here, but not in the way the billboards claim. Correct. The problem is that getting Sacramento River water to thirsty nut trees requires pumping it out of the delta. The farmer's water supply gets uh, cut off periodically to prevent endangered Chinook salmon and a finger-long critter known as the Delta Smelt from getting sucked into the pumps. If the pumps ran full-time during drought and the brackish estuary was allowed to get any drier and saltier, it would put the entire ecosystem at risk, harming the Delta's recreational opportunities along the water supplies, or so along with water supplies for a half million residents. Rather than fighting to keep pumps running, 
The nut growers, backed by Governor Gavin Newsom and some Southern California cities, would like the taxpayers to shell out $16 billion (laughs) for a 45-mile tunnel that would allow Sacramento River water to circumvent the Delta entirely and go to farmers and municipalities in the south, a project opposed to by all five Delta counties. right. The tunnel project isn't going to solve the bigger issue looming. Over the next two decades, water supplies could decrease by as much as 20%. That's a lot. Because of climate change, tighter restrictions on groundwater pumping. It's a zero-sum game, and the only long-term solution, Jeffrey Mount told me, was for the valley to tear out some of its nut crops. And, of course, they're not going to want to do that. Of course not. According to a study done by the Public Policy Institute of California, the San Francisco-based think tank where Mount works, up to 900,000 acres of farmland needs to be abandoned. The floods are already making farmers rethink where they, what they've been, uh, sorry, where they've been planting their trees. Yeah, need to plant on higher ground. Our original plan had been to paddle the, to the city of Antioch, the holy angering of Antioch, uh, where the <laughs> the delta opens up into the big break, the easternmost finger of San Francisco Bay. We camped at a marina and planned to set out early on our final day in order to surf the outgoing tide to Antioch. When we woke up that morning, we saw our a steady chop from the un- unfavorable winds. It was here that our sit-on-top kayaks really let us down. <laughs> Rather than cutting through the procession of two to three foot waves that we faced on the open water, the bows would rise up and fall again with a slap. 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 With slap. 20 to 30 mile per hour winds, progress was as bad as it had been the first day. There you go. We tucked into the slough on the lee side of Bethel Island, made our way towards the open water of the big break. Even though we were in protected channel, I felt like one of us could flip if if a wave broadsided us. We were still six miles from Antioch and passing what was likely our last bailout point, a place to dock in a nearby restaurant where we could hunker down with nachos to wait for our ride. Tom (laughs) and I pulled over. I checked the weather to see if there was any chance for calm. We were facing a small craft advisory for the next two days. What do you think it's going to be like out there in the big break? I asked Tom. Murder. Murder, he said. I remember that Sweetser had said about rough water he and Cooper faced on their final day. They had already paddled for 11 days, and there was no way he was giving up at that point. I looked over at Tom and knew what he wanted, and, if I was being perfectly honest, what I wanted. Mexican food it would be. Yeah. We're done. We've had enough. That's it. We're (laughs) done, yeah. So they did find a lot of stuff. 900,000 Acres of land mm-hmm. needs to be given up. Abandoned, yeah. 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 That is not going to especially if it's owned by a conglomerate, something yeah. like, like I say, I mean, you go into the stores, like big box stores and that, and you see the big bags of pistachios yeah. and, and almonds are ridiculously priced. Could you imagine losing that kind of property, how much the increase would be in the exactly. price of almonds? Yeah. And and they're feeding the world. They're they're feeding like all these overseas markets with nuts, mm-hmm. with almonds and whatnot. It, it's just it's an incredible. Nobody's want to give that up. I wonder how much the wife feed the world when you could feed at home. Exactly. Battle is there. Yeah. 
But there's a lot of change that goes on from one flood year. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know, right? Yeah. From that much water coming down, yeah. how many, how much the water affects mm-hmm. that entire area. Yep. How much paddling they could be doing. It's incredible. If that water was full mm-hmm. all the time. And of course, he, one of the things he wanted to do is see if there was a way that could be, that he could see that the water could be used better. Yeah. And if everybody's taking a little bit right from the top, by the time he gets to the bottom there's of the hill, there's, there's yeah. nothing left at the no, bottom no, of the hill. There's no more migrating salmon, trout, bass, mm-hmm. whatever. It's, it's been cleaned out. Yeah. <laughs> but in 40 years when there's another big flood. <laughs> well, we don't know. They're saying that we're going to get more uh, unexpected weather in the coming years, right? Because mm-hmm. we are starting to feel the, uh, the effects of, of uh, you know, climate change and so on. So it's really, it, it'll prove interesting over the next couple of years, right? So like we're supposed to face a very mild winter here in Ontario, which is going to affect crops in the spring. And, and normally we have high lake levels on Lake Ontario. Maybe that'll mean we're going to have a lower than normal uh, lake level in Lake Ontario and the other Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. It's uh, all of these, all of these things kind of combine, and and when you have the added pressure of farming pulling water out of a system that it can't afford to be pulled out of. I wonder what, what the the paddling opportunities would be like if they had these kind of floods for the next say five years. Well, that would be interesting too, because the problem is is uh, there's so many things in the way of normal paddling, and when there is flooding. Please keep people off off the water courses. Mm-hmm. So, it, but it would be interesting, and and it, it just sounds like an, a fascinating experience to be able to paddle this original route. Like, I, I would love to have done that route. I think it would be very interesting to see, you know, the changes and experience the changes over the years. Yeah, interesting. So that was very a, interesting. That was a long article, dude. <laughs> it was very long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah that was that was like. Really long. Yeah. <laughs> We're looking at what? Hour and 15 minutes so far? Of the- <laughs> yeah, like an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. Uh, I've only got one other thing. <laughs> <laughs> Annual Sarasolsis. That's one heck of a name. Yeah. Uh, from Spain, Cat- Catalan. Catalan. Um, he's an elite kayaker. He's conquered the world's highest glacier waterfall drop in this Fallbird archipelago. In Norway. Yeah. He and his team embarked on a challenging expedition to this Farlbad archipelago, beginning with a 36-hour sea voyage. Wow. Okay. The team, including kayakers David Sodomka, Alex uh, Salvat, and Mikkel Sarsosola, oh. uh, then undertook an 11-kilometer trek across Arctic's icy expanse to access the river. Leading to the glacier waterfall. Now, remember we've seen the pictures of these little rivers going through the the glacial ice, and people are paddling them in the kayaks. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Try doing that for like, yeah. yeah. That's, that's exactly what it's like. Yeah. Throughout their journey, the team faced numerous obstacles, including climbing treacherous ice walls, navigating across streams and crevasses, and handling the unpredictable whitewater rivers sculpted in the Arctic ice. Uh, reflecting on the 20-meter, 65-foot unprecedented descent, Sarasolsis 
expresses his astonishment, saying it's hard to find the words to explain his feeling. It's like kayaking on another planet. Without a doubt, it's the most unique kayak I've ever done in my life. And it would be. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. we talked about this where you can, you can take the helicopter in BC and go up to the glaciers and, and paddle these different little alpine ice lakes and rivers yep. and stuff, right? Confronting such an unpredictable Arctic environment, Sarah Salsis noted, we were in a constantly changing environment, a totally unpredictable place. We knew how risky it was, but when you look around you, it all made sense. This extraordinary feat will be showcased in Ice Waterfalls, an upcoming documentary set to air on Red Bull TV. Film promises to capture Sarah Salsis' historic journey, offering a glimpse into the trials and triumphs of this unparalleled kayaking adventure. If you want to see the clip of him doing mm-hmm. this, we've posted it on our Facebook page. Uh, shows shows bits of this. There's one part where it's this ice tunnel okay. the river goes through, yep. and he's ripping through. It's like <laughs> it's like white water, yeah. But he's zipping in the the windy in a tunnel river, and then yeah. this tunnel that goes yeah. through, and and then yeah, at the end he comes shooting out and goes the, over the river waterfall. and goes over a sixty five foot Zikes. waterfall. <laughs> awesome. Go uh, check that out on our our Facebook page. That's all I got. Yes, I'm exhausted just from listening to you talk. I'm just exhausted from talking. <laughs> I need need another beer. This is this is like a seven beer night. I only had one. Well, I have to drive. I'm feeling parched. <laughs> feeling a little parched here. Uh, you got nothing else? You say? I do not. You do not. Well, it's December. It is. I'm still waiting for the colder weather, but we just we're in a war- bit of another warm up spell here. I so. get looks because I mean, if it's above zero, sometimes I'll have my truck window down while I'm driving, yeah. especially in rush hour traffic. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're blowing cold air. So I'll have my window down and people yeah. are like, dude's got his window what down. What's that man doing? What's wrong <laughs> with that guy? What's wrong with you, boy? Uh, yeah, it's nice to have the, the cooler weather, but I guess I should get my snow tires on soon. Oh, mine are on. Are they? Yeah. Got them on my wife's car, my car, and my mother-in-law's car. Yeah, I've got chores to do every spring and fall. A lot of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. I got to get mine in for new tires and well, not new. Get them switched over. And yeah. then in the spring, I got to get a whole new set of tires for my truck. Mm. Yay me! Well, that's your third set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah truck's ten years now. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Found the original invoice for that too. Oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I just doing some cleaning here and looking for stuff, and I found a whole crap load of stuff, yeah. like I say. I've just been taking handfuls of it into work every day and just shred, shred, shred. the old shredder. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow. Get rid of that big box that was down there is just filled with old stuff. <laughs> but, I don't know. It is what it is. Yep. Uh, if you want to find more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream all our episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. Or you can go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and you can stream or download all our episodes there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. 